With summer closing in, I am so ready to ditch my cold weather clothes and say hello to shorts and tees. But I don't want to just buy what's trendy. I want to update timeless, high-quality summer pieces that I can utilize for all seasons and years to come without spending a fortune. And now I've got a lineup of beautiful clothes from Quince that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Like premium European linen dresses, Blouses and shorts from $30. That's what I'm talking about, babe. There's washable silk tops, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less oh than gosh. similar brands. It's actually because they partner directly with top factories, so Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to you. I actually just ordered their linen shorts, tops, and pants that I plan to wear for this summer because they're lightweight, and I'm so excited to get them and start planning my Quince capsule wardrobe for my summer travels. Honestly, I have so much Quince clothing, and I love it all. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com husband for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash husband to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash husband when you're traveling do you ever stress about what's happening back home like did you forget to lock up or leave a window open that's why we totally suggest getting simply safe home security today for top-notch security and peace of mind no matter where your summer adventures take you that's actually such a good point i think that is one of the main reasons peyton and i love simply safe as well is did I lock the front door? Did I do this? Is a window open? You can just tell exactly what's going on in your home. Right. And I, I know like when we travel, it is so nice to just have that peace of mind to know that your home is okay. There's also a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras that we've installed. So we have view of our entire house, every entry point. Plus, I just feel relieved knowing that it's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash husband. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast. This is Murder With My Husband. I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. We're coming at you on a Thursday, which is kind of weird, but I promised you guys that I would give you an extra episode this week. And really what I meant by that was we're doing a two-parter, so you're going to get two episodes this week. It's still two. It's still two. We just want to say hey to all of our new listeners, and if you're a continued listener, Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everyone, for sharing. Please go follow us on our social media. It's Murder With My Husband on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We post photos and images from every story we tell, and we get some good discussions going on there. So it's really fun. So if you want to, and I know you do, please go follow us. Okay, Gary, let's just jump right into this. Okay, let's do it. So my sources this week are wikipedia.org, wired.com, allthatsinteresting.com, thrillist.com, goeerie.com, reddit, and there's also a Netflix documentary on this called Evil Genius. It's a four-part series and it's really good. 
Also, this case was suggested to us by Lynn Spridgen. I hope I said that name right uh, from Instagram. So thank you so much, Lynn, for suggesting this case. I actually had never heard of this. And I don't know how I hadn't, but this one is a roller coaster. So are you ready, Gare? Yeah, let's do it. So the Netflix documentary that is about this case actually follows an investigative journalist who dove into this case just a year after it first happened in hopes to get some more answers. And that he did. So I will also be telling kind of his story through the case because I think it's really cool that he dove into this and got answers that police didn't. The date is August 28th, 2003. We are in Erie, Pennsylvania. And does that sound familiar to you, Garrett? It does, but why? Because we watched that show, Undercover Billionaire. And that's oh, where he went. This yeah, is the yeah, town yeah. he went. Oh, Erie. okay. That's a good show, by the way, if yeah. you guys haven't seen that. But this is the... You want to tell them what the show's about? We, no, it's we okay. love TV recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> you can. It's just basically this billionaire goes into... Well, I don't know if he's a billionaire. I think so. Okay. It's called Undercover Billionaire. But he goes into Erie, I mean, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's yeah, true. But he goes into Erie, Pennsylvania, and he starts from nothing. He has like $100, dollars $100 or something, and then he has to make like a million dollar business in 30 days, or is yeah. it mm-hmm. 60 days? Yeah. Anyways. And he literally starts from ground zero. Like he's showering at the gas stations. He's yep. getting ramen noodle packets and filling them up with the water from the gas station sinks. It's pretty crazy. It's a cool show. But anyway, so... It's a small town, Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, It's around 2.30 p.m. And a 46-year-old man named Brian Wells enters the PNC Bank branch on Peach Street. He has a shirt wrapped around his neck that says guess on it. So it's like a guess brand shirt, but it just says guess. Okay. Um, He also has an odd-looking cane that he's holding because he can't really walk with it because it's only like two feet tall. He walks up to the line in the bank and waits behind the person in front of him for a minute. And then he decides to step out of line and he walks up to the front of it, cutting everyone. According to crimemuseum.org, Brian then hands the bank teller a note that says, gather employees with access codes to vault and work fast to fill the bag with $250,000. You only have 15 minutes. Oh, that's creepy. He then showed the teller, he lifts up his guest shirt that's tied around his neck and shows the teller a bomb, which is locked around his neck underneath the shirt that said guess. Okay, so question real quick. Are the tellers and the customers separated by a big glass piece? Do you know? No, I don't think they're separated by glass. Or plexiglass or something. No, I think it's just like a a desk or a podium that they're standing behind. The teller um, told Brian that she could actually not open the vault and no one there could right now, but she placed $8,702 into the bag he had. Keep in mind, he went in for $250,000. Brian is unusually calm in the uh, security footage of this whole entire scene for having a bomb literally strapped around his neck underneath a, a shirt. He's just so casual he casually grabs a lollipop out of like the free basket like candies and just plops it in his mouth before walking out of the bank with eight thousand dollars oh man so he and keep in mind he went in and was gonna wait in line even though he told them that they only had 15 minutes so he like waited in line first and then was like oh maybe i should cut okay went up and cut 
Brian heads across the street to a McDonald's parking lot. (laughs) He picks up another note at the parking lot. So keep in mind, he went in with a note to the teller. He goes over to the McDonald's parking lot and picks up a note in the parking lot and gets into a vehicle that was left there for him. He heads down Peach Street, but doesn't get very far. The police had been called and state troopers pull him over only 15 minutes after he had walked into that PNC bank that afternoon. Police handcuff Brian and he's extremely calm. He then informs them that he has a bomb around his neck. So if they lift up the hanging shirt, they'll see it. I'm surprised they just went and handcuffed him that they didn't know he had a bomb before because one of the bank told him that. I mean, hey, this guy has a bomb. Maybe. So you feel like they wouldn't have gone up. I think they were worried about restraining him first. Okay. So at this um, at this point, police hesitantly lift up the shirt and see the contraption that is locked around Brian Wells neck. Media has arrived, meaning that you can actually go back and watch the real footage of everything I'm about to explain. I watched the video. Cops back up immediately and duck behind their cars. Their guns are still drawn on Brian as he just robbed a bank. Yeah. They ask him what happened after isolating him in the middle of the road. They lock down all traffic, unsure of whether the bomb around his neck is fake or not. Brian claims that some black men had come up, mobbed him, put the bomb around his neck, given him the notes to go rob the bank, and sent him off. He says if he doesn't go to the next place, the bomb will go off and he will die and that he doesn't have much time left. Now, keep in mind the scenario. Brian is handcuffed with a bomb around his neck, sitting on his knees in the middle of the street all alone. All traffic is shut down and there's multiple police cars surrounding him. They all have their guns drawn and are pointing them at him. This entire conversation between the cops and Brian is being loudly said back and forth because police are too nervous to get close. At this point, bomb squad is on its way. They've been called. But because the city shut down traffic due to the bomb, bomb squad is stuck in traffic. So although they are originally only 10 miles away, they can't get through to get there. Mm Mm-hmm. The video of this whole scene made me really sad for Brian. It was really hard to watch. It's kind of like uh, the movie Speed. Have you seen that movie? No. Oh, okay. Um, we don't have to get too off topic, but basically, I mean, it's been years since I've seen it, but they're all on a bus, and if they go over like 55 miles oh, an hour or mm-hmm. something for a certain extent of time, the guy's gonna, the bus will automatically explode. I can't remember exactly. It's been so long since I've seen it, but... but- a similar mm-hmm. like lockdown yep. situation. Do you ever find that when you're traveling, you can't help but worry about what's going on back home? Like, again, did you remember to lock up everything or close all the windows? It's so easy for those little concerns to nag at you while you're trying to enjoy your trip. And that's why we highly recommend looking into Simply Safe Home Security today. It's all about giving you the top-notch security and total peace of mind, no matter where your summer adventures take you. It's like having that extra layer of protection so you can truly relax and enjoy your time away. You guys, I know that when we travel, it is so nice to just have that peace of mind. You know, it's not only for when you're home and you don't want someone breaking in, but like also when you're away from home and you just want to know that your house is safe. And that is what Simply Safe gives you. There's a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras we've installed. So we have a view of all our entry points. Plus, Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System 2024 by the U.S. News and the World Report. 
Simply Safe has given us and many of our listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/husband. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're jumping into an ad right now and I no joke, I've had this question I think about it all the time because I hate getting sick. Do you ever wonder why some people just don't get sick? One of the reasons you can help yourself from getting sick is Armra Colostrum. Okay, obviously I had no idea that colostrum is the first nutrition we receive in life and is an exclusive source of all the essential nutrients we need in order to thrive. So what's amazing is Armra colostrum is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 functional nutrients to strengthen your immune barriers, your body's inside suit of armor, and the first line of defense against harmful particles from the environment that can trigger inflammation and actually make make you sick. I'm not saying that it 100% works for everybody because obviously you never know, but all I'm saying is I haven't been sick since I started taking it. Well, and the science behind it is so cool. Armra colostrum strengthens all four layers of your gut wall where 80% of your immune cells are housed and it's a rich exclusive source of antibodies that optimize your immune defense during cold and flu season. Plus in clinical trials, bovine colostrum was found to be at least three times more effective than the flu vaccine at preventing the flu. We've worked out a special offer for our audience receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash husband or enter husband to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash husband. All right, you guys, Audible is your one-stop app for all things audio entertainment, from bestsellers and the latest releases to celebrity memoirs and gripping mysteries. Audible's library is brimming with countless genres to love and new discoveries to make. Dive into an unparalleled selection of audiobooks and explore exclusive Audible originals brought to life by top celebrities, renowned experts, and fresh voices. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog in including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Plus, you can enjoy unlimited access to a growing selection of audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts such as Murder With My Husband. Honestly, I love Audible because I will get into a story while I'm cleaning or driving. Sometimes I get so hooked listening to a story, I just end up finding new places to clean or just end up sitting in my car, which drives Garrett nuts, but I'm out there sitting there. New members can explore Audible free for 30 days. Also this March through May, the Audible sweep you into a realm of intrigue and suspense with their mystery and thriller collection, featuring exclusive new thrillers from their best-selling authors. Their selection is designed to captivate and surprise ensuring your heart rate remains as elevated as your imagination. New members can try Audible for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash MWMH or text MWMH to 500-500. That's audible.com slash MWMH or text MWMH to 500-500. So police are pretty confused at this point. Brian is talking so calm. He just keeps saying over and over, why is nobody helping me? It's going to go off. But he's not like yelling it. He's not freaking out. He's just sitting there talking to police. Yeah. So police don't really know if he really is a victim or if he's been a willing participant in this whole bank robbery and was using the bomb as a facade and it's not actually real. Watching the footage, I'm sad because it seems like Brian is under pressure of the cops 
after he just robbed a bank, he couldn't act out. There were guns pointed at his face. He was obeying authority. He's handcuffed. You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know what... I mean, yes, he's not, like, s- screaming, like, there's a bomb around my neck. But also, I'm sure he's kind of scared to move, like, if there's really totally. a bomb around his neck. Um, cops asked Brian where he met the, the supposed assailants who put the bomb around his neck. And he explains that he's a pizza delivery man for Mama Mia's Pizzeria, which... That's a good name. <laughs> he says that they got a call around 1.30 p.m. that day for a two-pizza delivery on 8631 Peach Street. So they're on Peach Street right now. Oh, okay. Um, just a few miles from where the actual pizza shop is. So the pizza shop's on Peach Street. The delivery address where he delivered the pizzas that day was on Peach Street, and he's on Peach Street right now. That's creepy. He headed out there to the delivery address with the pizzas, but it ended up not being a residential address, rather a radio tower at the end of a dirt road. He claims that it was while he was waiting for the payment for the pizzas that he was jumped. At this point in the video, a beeping starts radiating from the device around Brian's neck. Oh, you can no. hear it in the video. It's just like beep, beep, beep. And it wasn't making any noise before. Yeah. Brian starts to get a little bit antsy. Oh, I'm sure. He tells the cops again, like, help me. It's going to go off. And everyone just stands there. No one will even come close to him at all. And bomb squad's still not there. Nope. He says again, you know, if you followed the, the instructions on the note that I just picked up at McDonald's to the next site, it'll give you keys that can get the collar off of me. Trigger warning, if you watch the video, you should know that it shows what happens next, and I wish that I wouldn't have watched. At 3.18 p.m., just three minutes before the bomb squad would arrive on scene, the collar bomb around Brian Wells' neck detonates. Oh, no. And it's all on video because the media was there. Uh-huh. Um, the bomb creates a hole in Brian's chest where he slowly bleeds out, so he doesn't immediately die. Uh Although it's scary and they don't know if there's any more explosion, you know, planned or if it detonated the whole way or if there's more, no one runs up to check on Brian. No one goes to help him after the bomb detonates. I'm sure everyone was in some sort of shock too. Oh, yeah. Because like this is almost a, oh, this only happens in the movies Mm -hmm. sort of scenario. And I mean, I know the cops probably couldn't touch the bomb they're not the bomb squad like safety protocol they probably can't go up to him and try to help him yeah but it was seriously the worst feeling watching someone sit there and plead for help like so casually obeying just law enforcement and just casually pleading please help me like the bomb's gonna go off i'm not lying he kept saying that i'm not lying i'm not lying and then the beeping just gets faster and faster and then he slowly just dies on camera and no one does anything it's like such a helpless feeling yeah um police find a total of nine messy and unorganized handwritten notes inside the vehicle brian wells was driving from that mcdonald's parking lot they referred to brian in the notes as bomb hostage they are the notes are insanely detailed um telling brian where to go what to do and how to do it They say the bomb is booby-trapped and it would take multiple keys from multiple places to defuse the bomb. The bomb squad and police follow the directions on the note that lead them to more notes and clues and places. It's like a little scavenger hunt. 
According to Wired.com, they found a note directing them two miles south to a small road sign where the next clue would be waiting in a jar in the woods nearby. When they got there, they found the jar, but it was empty. Whoever had set this whole ordeal in motion, it seemed as if they had called it off once the cops had appeared. They had probably been watching every step of the way. I was just thinking that. Like, were they watching from cameras? Like, what... Because the notes stopped being left for him yeah. of how to defuse it. Like, did he hack into street cameras or, like, yeah. what was going on? When cops actually pull up to the last known destination, because the clues stopped being given, a blue van was actually at the site as well. But when cops pulled in, the van got sm- spooked and drove away, and they lost him. They couldn't catch the van that was at that site. Okay. The FBI actually get involved in the case at this point, and they go to Brian's house in hopes to find anything linking him to the bomb. They're still under the assumption that he wasn't an innocent victim in this whole mess. Really? Yeah. They find no, I think because of his behavior in the bank, because he wasn't taking it very seriously. Uh-huh. I think that they think that he was part of a team. Well, my thoughts would be if he really thought he was going to die, which he obviously knew he would have yeah he was just trying to do what the note said yeah so he was just trying to get it done they find absolutely no physical evidence linking him to the case back at the scene police and the coroner are trying to figure out how to get the bomb off of brian's neck because the bomb was strapped on to his neck with like a custom device that functioned like a giant handcuff for the neck so it opened like a claw and like with two pieces it opened like a claw and then it closed notching its way in and then it would lock when it notched when the bomb went off it didn't unlock so the handcuff device was actually still locked around his neck because the bomb was just attached to the handcuff they make um the gruesome and horrifying decision at this point at the scene to actually decapitate brian's head in hopes of sliding the device off and preserving the evidence can you do that like is that Is that legal? I mean, you can, but the family was obviously upset because, I mean, first you just sat there and let their loved one die, basically, without helping him. You had guns to his head the whole time. And I know he just robbed a bank, but he was telling them, like, it wasn't my fault, you know? Yeah, that one's hard. And so, and then after that, they just decapitate the head off, you know, so they mutilate the body. And I know it's because... They were preserving evidence. Like, I understand the reasoning why, but it was offensive to the family. Yeah, it's still gruesome. Yeah. So, to think of all this guy has been put through, and then then after that, they just do it as well, you know? As investigation starts, the FBI discover that the call to the pizza shop was made from a Shell gas station payphone close to the radio tower where Brian delivered the pizzas to. Brian's boss actually says that he originally took the call, but was having a hard time understanding the customer, so he handed the call off to Brian. When the radio tower is searched, they find Brian's delivery car's tire marks and his shoe prints, and it looked as if there had been a struggle at the scene. Almost like he made the pizzas, took them to the delivery site, got out, something Something bad happened. happened. Okay. Further proving that maybe Brian had been telling the truth all along and he was a victim in this. There is no physical evidence in the case so far and the FBI is struggling with leads. A couple days after what has come to be known as the pizza bombing. 
This is what that's called because he was a pizza delivery yeah. guy. So they call the actual case the pizza bombing, and then they call the suspect the pizza bomber. Okay, got it. A co-worker of Brian's named Robert Panetti mysteriously overdoses on drugs at his home. Unsure of whether it was accidental or not, people are suspect when friends and co-workers come forward claiming that Robert had actually been acting super frantic since Brian's death, claiming that the people who killed him were coming for him next. And then he mysteriously dies a couple days later. So were they actually, what the heck? That's So crazy. what are the chances? Two co-workers from the same pizza shop in a small town die. That's nuts. Okay. As investigators go through the evidence, they discover that the cane that Brian had used at the bank was actually a homemade custom gun. The handle of the cane had a trigger and the barrel was the two feet long cane itself. Okay, wait. So now this is a little weird. So Brian... Did he know that? Do you think he knew that? Yes. Oh, okay. The notes um, that were in his car had told Brian to use the gun if he needed it. And it it was loaded. Okay. So he knew he had a gun. Mm -hmm. They also discovered that the handwritten notes had actually been printed off on a computer first and then traced over with pen. So he or she wrote the notes on a computer, printed it off, and then retraced over it with their handwriting. Yeah. After reconstructing a duplicate of the collar bomb, scientists discovered that there was a little pin on the collar that if had been pulled, it would have given Brian another hour. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, There was also random wires and buttons on the device that were there to throw off investigators. And there was shrapnel that should have exploded. So the bomb was actually full of shrapnel. So when the bomb went off, the shrapnel was supposed to like explode and go into Brian. But it didn't break when the bomb went off, so the whole chunk went into his chest, and that's what made the hole. So do we know if the bomb was detonated remotely or if it was detonated off of time? So I can't figure this out because sources differed. I saw a couple sources that said it was a remotely um, detonated bomb, but then another source said that there were two kitchen timers in the bomb, and they had like a little handle on it and when the handle hit down to the bottom it triggered the bomb but then why would he put a pin in there that would give him another hour i don't know because i think it slowed the kitchen timer down okay got it i don't know i don't know why there a lot of the bomb doesn't make sense there was actually like warning labels on the bomb like if you push this button it's gonna go off in 30 seconds and if you rotate this way up and down like literal drawings like handwritten drawings when they reconstructed the bomb Like the work, the amount of work that went into this bomb was unreal. Yeah. There was actually indeed four keyholes in the bomb that you had to insert four keys to like disarm the bomb. But upon investigation, it's discovered that only two of those holes would have actually needed keys to unlock the collar. So they put four in, but you actually only needed two. The whole collar was to confuse people like they, like I said, they just had random wires going through it. So if someone did try to defuse the bomb, they wouldn't like, what are these random wires for? They connected to nothing. That's so strange. It's almost like he knew that he was going to get caught. So he just put all this stuff on the bomb. Yeah. So after attempting the scavenger hunt themselves, investigators discover that it didn't matter how fast Brian went. Even if he had pulled that little thing that gave him an extra hour, there was no way he could have finished the route in time to get the bomb off. 
So it sounds like it was a t- like a timer then. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I don't I don't know yeah. why some sources said it was remotely detonated. Because it sounds like like what you just read. It sounds like no matter and what. And I literally watched and explain the whole kitchen mechanism of how it went off. So I I think some of the sources. Are like, <laughs> <laughs> Three weeks after the pizza bombing, a nine one one call comes in in Erie, Pennsylvania, from a fifty nine year old man named Bill Rothstein. And I'm going to warn you now, this story has like 10 characters. So just keep in mind, we have Brian, who is the victim. We have Panetti, who is the co-worker who passed. And now we have Bill Rothstein, who just made a 911 call three weeks after the pizza bombing. Okay. He claims that there is a body in the freezer in his garage at 8645 Peach Street. And a woman named Marjorie Dill Armstrong is in the house and they should go talk to her about it. He tells them that the guy in the freezer is Marjorie's ex-boyfriend named James Roden. And she killed him and then Bill helped her hide the body in his freezer. I think if we ever go to Erie, Pennsylvania, we should stay away from Peach Street. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's do it. Okay. So... Bill comes into the police station and tells police he's, you know, known Marjorie for 30 to 35 years. They were actually on and off again. They'd even been engaged at one point. Bill was a quirky guy. Growing up, he was kind of bullied. He thought he was smarter than everyone in the room, but he was actually brilliant. He just never followed through with anything. He was kind of lazy. He dropped out of college and Marjorie had him wrapped around her finger. Okay. He had never dated another girl really besides Marjorie. Someone like ex- one of his friends explained it that he lived in her psyche. Okay, got it. Yeah. So Marjorie, on the other hand, had dated lots of men and all of them seemed to be dead now. She was beautiful when she was growing up. She got a master's degree, graduated top of her class, also brilliant. But her parents always knew something was a little wrong with her. Through the years, Marjorie had been diagnosed with just about everything. Bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, manic behavior. She was very mentally ill. When she was around 23 years old, she couldn't hold down a job and started to let herself go. This was when things got pretty bad for Marjorie because she could no longer rely on her good looks to get her by. Her first husband died when he mysteriously hit his head on their coffee table. Her next boyfriend hung himself, and her next boyfriend was shot and killed by her in self-defense, but he was sleeping, and she shot him six times and was never charged. Because self-defense, that's what she claimed. Okay, sorry. I'm trying to wrap my head around all of this. So I told you. Yeah, it's a crazy a one. Lot. So she basically has killed a lot of people, and she's never been charged. Yes. I mean, more of the the story so killed far. i mean the first two were like he committed suicide he actually fell and hit his head the third one yes she shot him in his sleep bunch of crazy coincidences yes and now bill her on and off again boyfriend is now dead no now just called the cops and said hey she just killed her next boyfriend and his body's in my freezer got it okay Jeez. yeah so when police respond to the 911 call at bill's house They are disgusted. They can barely get into the house and walk around because the hoarding was so bad. When they get to the garage, they find the body of James Roden, Marjorie's ex-boyfriend. 
He was shot dead with a shotgun, stuck in fetal position, frozen to the sides of the freezer. Oh, my gosh. So they arrest Marjorie, but couldn't ride in the car with her to the station because she stunk so bad. Police search Marjorie's house, where Marjorie states, Bill killed her ex-boyfriend, James Roden, out of jealousy, and Bill claims Marjorie killed him because she's crazy. Marjorie's house was even worse than Bill's. It was so hoarded... There were even dead cats lying around the house. What? So both of them are hoarders. Bill walks the cops through both houses and explains how everything happened on his end of cleaning up what Marjorie did. He says that he had attempted suicide after because he felt bad, um, but he couldn't do it. And in Bill's suicide note that he shows police, the very first line says, This has nothing to do with the Brian Wells case. And this is the first clue that leads police to theorize that the murder of James Roden and the murder of Brian Wells could be related. That is so weird that he would put this has nothing to do with the murder Mm -hmm. of Brian. You know, and that's the end of part one. That's it. Mm -hmm. Oh, Gotta leave him on that cliffhanger. I kind of wanted to keep going. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure so <laughs> I was does everyone. In, I was in the zone. So here's the thing. Do not go look up how this case ends. We are posting the next one on Sunday, so you don't have to wait that long. Wait for us to get part two out, and we can figure out if and how Brian Wells and James Roden's murder cases are connected. Stay off Netflix. Stay off the internet. (laughs) Yes, stay off until we finish it. No phone for three days. And we'll see you guys on Sunday. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye.